1: Hello and welcome once again to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the topics you're discussing on the beautiful game. I'm Ian McGarry and joining me, of course, is Duncan Castles. Today we'll bring you news on Manchester City. Tottenham Hotspur, we've also got other news on Leicester City as well as Chelsea and an update on Jaden Sancho and of course, because it's Friday's podcast, the Donkey Award is up for grabs. First we'll go to Manchester City who are planning a rebuild uh, this summer and Duncan you have news for us regarding a potential recruit in the midfield division for the Etihad club.
0: Yeah, this is one that's come as a um, as a shock to um, another Premier League club who have been trying to sign him, and a shock to a, a manager who has a had a big rivalry with with Pep Guardiola. Um, I can tell you that Manchester City have moved um, to try and sign Pierre Emil Hoiberg from Southampton. We told you last month that Jose Mourinho and Tottenham had identified Hoiberg as a low cost improvement for the midfield for next season. Um, As we explained in that podcast, Hogberg has one year of contract left at Southampton. Southampton have financial difficulties, something we told you about in the Transfer Window podcast months ago. Um, they know the player is going to leave. He's one of the few players that they um, can get um, a reasonable transfer fee for. And they've been pushing um, to get as much money as possible from Tottenham if that was where he was going to go. Hoyberg had talked positively um, to the press about the, the possibility of moving to Tottenham. He'd been stripped of the captaincy by Ralph Hassenhüttel. um hassan Hassenhutel saying he, he couldn't. Retain the captain, see if his his future was un, uncertain at the club, and, and we told you Southampton been pushing to try and get a better transfer fee by marketing him to other clubs and 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 getting alternative interest. They got that one of the clubs interested. Interestingly, was um, Ajax Amsterdam. They have since stepped away from that because they know the deal is too expensive for them. And the reason they know the deal is too expensive is because it's Tottenham and Manchester City going head to head. And Tottenham were doing to try and save money. Um, Again, something we reported some time ago in the podcast, Daniel Levy had told uh, Mourinho that there would be no substantial resources for um, transfers in this window, that he was looking for um, loans with options to buy free transfers or um, very low fees and and players um, being sent the other way. And Kyle Walker-Peters is uh, one of the players that Tottenham could offer to Southampton. He's currently on loan there as part of this deal. Now, um, it becomes far more complicated because you have Manchester City there and Manchester City in a summer where they are looking to spend um, and make an aggressive reinforcement of the squad after losing the title by such a comprehensive margin to Liverpool. Hoiberg has played for Pep Guardiola before. In fact, um, Guardiola promoted Heuberg into his first team immediately, he took over at Bayern Munich. Um, Heuberg had played a couple of games coming from the youth before Guardiola arrived, but Guardiola in pre-season identified the then 17-year-old as a talent that he could um, teach how to work in his system and improve as a midfielder and used him in the early stages of his first season at Bayern. Um and in total over the three seasons, uh, he used him 23 times for Bayern as a, as a teenager and just into his 20s also putting him out on for a loan spell. So you have there a player who Guardiola trusts, who knows Guardiola's um, complex tactical methods, um, who now has uh, vast experience of the Premier League and has established himself as arguably the most important player at Southampton, certainly a very important player for Southampton and available at a low transfer fee, a relatively low transfer fee because he has just one year of contract left. Um, City are going to lose David Silva this summer. And they have the the kind of long-standing issue of how much longer Fernandinho will remain at the club. um, uh, Decisions to be made over whether he gets another contract extension. And Fernandinho, of course, has played much of this season at centre-back because of the defensive uh, shortages Guardiola's had. Something that he is trying to solve. So you, you then see that they can go for Hoiberg, um, limit the transfer fee spend, get a reliable player who will be an auxiliary option to their squad, and then um, focus more of their money on central defence, um, left-sided defence. They have to get a Leroy Zani replacement now. Um, it's uh, it's the kind of intelligent uh, transfer market business that uh, Manchester City have uh, have done well on numerous occasions, um, deploying Abu Dhabi's huge resource uh, to get them an advantage in the Premier League and I can tell you that my understanding is that Tottenham are very worried about this and that um, Tottenham chairman Daniel Levy is, uh, is not happy that um, Manchester City have come in and complicated what looked like being a relatively low-cost solution in a summer in which he does not want to spend big money on the team.
1: Two other transfer developments in Manchester City this week. Duncan, a uh, friend of the podcast, Christophe Terrar, uh, the uh, Belgian journalist who is close to all of the Belgian international players currently playing in the Premier League and elsewhere, has uh, reported that Kevin De Bruyne will not leave Manchester City even if Cass uphold the two-year Champions League ban. Um, that City are currently waiting on a decision. Uh, he cited the cost of such a move would be post-COVID or in mid-COVID, as it were, um, far too much. He reckons it would be cost £250 million in transfer fee plus wages for De Bruyne. So it looks like uh, the Premier gets the benefit of one of its best midfielders uh, for the foreseeable future, certainly. And interestingly, Duncan, because you did mention Pep Guardiola's difficulties in central defence. This week, Guardiola said it was not um, impossible that John Stones could leave this summer, effectively admitting that that has been a mistake in terms of a transfer. A a very expensive mistake, if that's the case, in £50 million. But given his form, the lack of game time he's had as a result of mistakes, we know he's had problems in his personal life, which may well have affected him psychologically as well as his football. Could be quite a few um, interesting ins and outs. Not De Bruyne not being one of them, obviously, but could be elsewhere. And we also reported uh, City's interest in Khaled Koulibaly from Napoli.
0: Yeah, um, Koulibaly, we said, um, has told friends that uh, he thinks that his most likely destination is Manchester City. John Stones, um, well, we've been, we've been talking about the problems with John Stones on this podcast for well over a year. Um, we told you that Guardiola had lost faith in him, um, had issues with his focus, his preparation, um, his behaviour away from the football club. And that explained why he dropped down the, the hierarchy. Uh, in Manchester City's defensive selections and why Fernandinho has had um, one of the reasons why Fernandinho has had so much game time after Vance and Company left um, of his own choice uh, to go and uh, play and coach in in Belgium football so um, it comes as no surprise that uh, that Guardiola is now saying publicly that Stones uh, is available for sale essentially because the, as we've told you, it's a priority for him to get a reliable centre-back in to play alongside Americ Laporte. There is a substantial budget in place to do that. Um, And with Stones, you do still have an England international, you do still have a player who was um, fought over um, at the point in which he was leaving Everton, Chelsea, pushed very hard to sign the player before he went to Manchester City Um, so you have the opportunity there I think of of getting a reasonable um, transfer fee for the player from a Premier League club who who sees someone they could rehabilitate Um, and of course if you do that you get a reasonable transfer fee and you take a substantial wage off your books and, and that allows
1: you money to reallocate to other areas of the team too. So Manchester City proving that the Etihad is not a glass house. I'll leave you to figure that one out for yourselves. Um, but many of you may as well have uh, noticed that on social media, Amazon have been trailing their new Spurs watch and all documentary. And uh, very interesting, Duncan, is that they're trailing the, the point at which Pochettino sacked And then the looks on the players' faces as Jose Mourinho walks into Spurs (laughs) and waves very casually to the players as he goes into his new office. Um, Very interesting stuff. But uh, Jose, despite his starring role, obviously, in that documentary, one person who's also featuring in it um, may well be leaving uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Please inform us. Uh,
0: Yes, I think... um, uh well, he has told um, Jose Mourinho that he will be leaving at the end of the season. That's my information. That's um, one of Mourinho's assistants, uh, Ricardo Formizinho. Um His formal role at the club, um, his title is a tactical analyst. He's been uh, Mourinho's assistant for a number of years. Uh, Mourinho took him to Manchester United. Um, when he was appointed there in 2016. Formosinho had also worked with Mourinho at Real Madrid um, for a period um, during uh, the, the Portuguese time in La Liga. Um, he's now 63. Um, my information is that he has uh, decided that um, he's had enough of coaching in the Premier League. Um, and wants to take a break from football doesn't have another job um, to go to um, and has uh, informed Mourinho that uh, he wants to uh, terminate his contract at the end of the season go elsewhere and Mourinho's already begun the process of of looking for a replacement um, for next season.
1: Will that have a a major effect on Josie with regards to um, his dynamic of a coaching staff, or do you think that from a senior is someone who can be quite easily replaced, Duncan? I don't think it will have a, a huge effect.
0: Obviously, um, for any manager, if you lose an assistant and it's not your own decision, that's not how you want things to happen. But he is not someone who is central to um, his methodology, he's not—he's um, not a person who uh, has been regarded as one of the most most important assistants. Uh, he's in not Rui setup No, he's not Rui Faria. He's never—he never had the same uh, level of input into decision making at the club as Faria had as an assistant, and and doesn't have the same input as um, John Sacramento. Um, the young assistant that uh, Mourinho chose to bring from Leo, um, as essentially as Faria's replacement um, in his team. Um, so uh, it, I don't, I don't. It's not, uh, it's not the equivalent of um, what happened at Manchester United when Rui Faria decided um, to uh, quit there and uh, take a break from football and then uh, go on to uh, become a manager in his own right and um, had a successful spell in Qatar with uh, Al Duhel. Um, This is a different level of of change but um, you know as I say any change that uh, a manager doesn't decide upon himself in his uh, his, uh, team of assistants isn't something that that manager will welcome.
1: And speaking of managers and decisions and how much influence they have, uh, a lot of you have been asking us for an update on Kai Havertz and the possible move to Chelsea. It's the transfer window's understanding that there is a strong interest from Chelsea in the Bar Leverkusen midfielder. Uh, the reason for that is when, when a lot of, I guess, people would think, well, Chelsea are well-stocked in midfield. Is twofold. Uh, one, um, Frank Lampard expects and is preparing for Jorginho to leave this summer. Possible uh, destinations are Juventus and Internazionale. And if so, uh, Havertz would be a very good replacement. But the second factor here is that Havertz has a, a very good eye for goal. And uh, something, of course, which Lampard, being Chelsea's all-time top scorer, from and uh, uh, did it from midfield, is something that he appreciates more than most. Uh, and Lampard has been trying desperately to get goals from different positions in the field. Um, hence the recruitment of Timo Werner for 60 million euros already from Borussia Dortmund. Havertz would add, he reckons, between 10 and 15 goals from midfield. And of course, Chelsea, while scoring a lot of goals, have also been conceding a lot of goals. So um, it's a strange uh, paradox, Duncan, because um, from what I hear, the feeling at Chelsea is that uh, they need to strengthen their defence as a priority. And yet so far, uh, two players they've bought are attacking players in Werner and, of course, Hakim Ziyech, uh, another attacking midfielder although Havertz does have defensive qualities as well, but still no sign of uh, centre-back. We have reported Chelsea's interested in Declan Rice of West Ham to play as a centre-back, but possibly obviously he could play in a four as well, Uh, a position he played as an academy player when he was at Stamford Bridge, previous to his move to West Ham. Also, he wants a left-back, as we know, and again, Ben Chilwell of Leicester City is on the radar for that. There is some friction, uh, we believe. Uh, I believe between um, the football department and the de facto chief executive, Marina Granovskaya. Granovskaya is ultimately the person who signs off on transfers, and so far, well, Lampard and his coaching staff uh, are pleased with the business that's been done and uh, optimistic uh, if Havertz arrives, especially with the say the possibility of Jorginho leaving. The priority remains for them to sort the defence out. Duncan, we've looked at the statistics uh, before we started recording the pod. They don't make for good reading for Chelsea, do they, when you compare them to other clubs, not just in the top four, uh, who, they're, who they're obviously competing with in terms of Europe, and, uh, but also even other clubs outside of.
0: Yeah, I think the two, two numbers you look at, goal difference, um, where Chelsea are the worst of the, the top five teams, by uh, by quite a margin, um, their goal difference is positive 17, um, Liverpool 49, Manchester City 52, Leicester City 32, Manchester United 26. But also on uh, goals conceded, um, uh, the worst of those five is currently Chelsea with 46. The next worst would be Manchester City with 34, who, as we know, we know have had uh, substantial defensive problems. And those defensive problems have effectively cost them the title. Um, if you want to find a team that's conceded as many goals as 46 so far in this Premier League season, you have to go all the way down to 10th place um, on Burnley. Um, for who are also on 46 goals um there are teams well, there's a team in the bottom half that's conceded less which is Crystal Palace um so <laughs> any assessment at Chelsea from watching them would say that they have defensive issues um, and the statistics bear that out uh, yet the reinforcement, at present is all going on at the other end of the field and um, Kai Havertz when you already have Hakim Ziyech um, signed up you have Timo Werner coming in and I know the thinking at Chelsea is that Timo Werner will not necessarily play at number nine he can play at number nine but they also see him playing as um Uh, one of an attacking two as a shadow striker um, behind the number nine or playing off either wings. That Part of the attraction was that he is um, multifunctional as a forward. Um, They have a good set of attacking uh, players at present, um, albeit they're going to lose Pedro and probably going to lose Willian as well. But you have uh, Pulisic there and others who, who who contribute well and are, are considered as, as future talents for the club. So then to add... Mason, Mason Havreth, Mount and Hudson-Odoi as well. Um,
1: exactly. Positions.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Hudson-Odoi, who they fought to keep from going to Bayern Munich um, instead of Leroy Zani um, a year ago. And, uh, and Mason Mount, who's a particular favourite of Lampard's and has had a, a strong first season in the Premier League. So they're very well stocked at that end of the field. So you would have thought um, the rational thing to do was to get the centre back Frank Lampard wants, to improve at left back, and to um, to do something about the goalkeeper situation because Kepa has been seriously underperforming um, for his uh, his recruitment cost, uh, most expensive goalkeeper in football when they signed him. And and that that needs to be resolved one way or another. They either have to get better performance from Kepa to justify the transfer fee and the high wages they pay him, or they have to switch um, to a goalkeeper who can uh, improve what is a a dubious backline at present.
1: And indeed, the thinking at Chelsea, my understanding is, Duncan, that uh, they have decided, or at least they believe, it's going to be very difficult to dispose of Kepa um, permanently, i.e. sell him due to uh, not just the uh, trying to re- recoup some of the uh, excessive 70 million euros they paid for him, but also his very high wages. is one of the highest earners currently at the club. Um, so instead, they feel like they're in a sort of a, a David De Gea type catch-22 that Manchester United find themselves in. Um, Manchester United, of course, have the um, advantage of being able to recall uh, Dean Henderson from Sheffield United, and uh, put pressure on here, Gea. Um, but Chelsea have decided probably to go down the same route as United, but they will have to recruit from outside. And uh, as you have reported, Mike Minan, uh, the Lille goalkeeper is someone uh, that they are interested in, as well as uh, the Ajax keeper at Unana. It looks like they are going to pursue one of those to sign this summer in order to put pressure on Kepa was the idea that, well, either you up your game uh, or you're replaced in goal and you sit on the bench. Now, it's quite a high-risk strategy when you're talking about a player who's earning just under £200,000 a week, but if that's what it takes, then that's what you're prepared to do. I suppose, Duncan, the difficulty with that is, given the unique nature of the goalkeeper's position, Persuading an already established number one at very good-sized clubs to come and sit on the bench, potentially at Chelsea, waiting for their chance, will be a difficult sell.
0: Yeah, look, they're looking at two goalkeepers here that Manchester United ironically had identified as um, replacements, potential replacements for David De Gea last summer. Uh, Manchester United made an offer for Andrea Nana at Ajax that was rejected by the club. Um, they also um, were in contact with Leo about Mike Mignon as an alternative to Anana, a cheaper alternative to Anana at uh, the time. And <laughs> to sort of add to that triangle, Ajax had identified Mignon as a replacement for Anana should they um, come to an eventual agreement with uh, Manchester United at the time for um, their goalkeeper. Um, in the end, Onana signed a new contract at Ajax. He has um, two years left in that. He's now one of the best paid players at the club. His uh, strategy is that he will move to a, a bigger club and a bigger league at some point in the, the near or medium term. Um, and his representatives have been exploring that for some time. So, um, Ajax would be open to a sale this summer but only at the right money um, Onana has the option of, of waiting another year if the right opportunity doesn't come up um, see his transfer fee um, costs come down because he then will only have one year left of contract or potentially run his contract down um, to zero and leave on a free transfer in two years time so I think he's being quite strategic about his decision-making and waiting for the right opportunity to arise, being conscious of the fact that goalkeeper is an unusual position. Um, elite goalkeepers only get recruited occasionally, usually only when a club has, a, has room for them to uh, to go straight into the team. And, and a situation like this where Chelsea want to get the two players to fight against each other and there would be no guaranteed starting slot, I think would be a difficult one to persuade someone like Onana was a, a good choice. I think if you told them you are going to be number one and we'll have Kepa fighting against you, that might be uh, more attractive because the, the player would back himself to to hold the position. Mignon, I think, is would be an easier um buy in this sense because he is coming from a lower salary base and we'd be more accessible and might be prepared to um to to fight for the position in the in the, the setup that Chelsea are proposing uh, given that it gets him to the Premier League and we get a substantial pay rise in place. But um you can see other clubs um moving for either of those two players. Um and now, I think another factor we should we should uh, add to this um, sort of discussion of what Chelsea do in the goalkeeper front is I understand that um, Pini Zahavi is uh, involved in the um, selling process for Mignon at Leo, And uh, as we know, Pini Zahavi has a good and long-standing connection with Chelsea, um, with Roman Abramovich and with Marina Granovskaya. Um, And that may help facilitate um, that particular move to the London club.
1: Interesting that Chelsea uh, seem to be the most active and proactive club uh, in the market, which, of course, hasn't even officially opened yet. And uh, the Premier League decided to delay a decision yet again. They seem to be like the most indecisive administration in the world. Uh, Every time they meet, they decide to delay an important decision. But uh, they did that yesterday, um, and the decision is not now expected until July 24th, when they, they now next meet for their stakeholders' meeting. But as I said, Duncan, the fact that they are active in recruiting, at, as, we, as we've pointed out, at, at the side of the pitch where they're very strong already, is slightly puzzling. Um, I just wonder if, uh, if and has he, uh, that is Lampard, been given assurances by uh, Gronoskaya and the club that, yes, he will get the priority positions sorted. um, But just bear with them because the players they're trying to recruit right now are some of the most sought after in Europe. And so they're trying to get that business done, certainly in the way they did with Werner. Um, And Havertz is, if you like, you know, the valuation is too high for Chelsea. My understanding is that they would rather pay no more than they did for Werner, which was €60 million. Euros. Um, and they would uh, at that kind of price, they'd be prepared to um, have the negotiation. But the, the €100 million Euros that uh, Leverkusen are currently asking for Havertz, it, it just makes it a, an impossible deal. So you have to suspect, therefore, that there's money in the kitty, uh, not infinite amount, but uh, enough to satisfy Lampard uh, in the defensive realm as well as p- potentially as uh, say by Havertz as well?
0: Well, they're coming off a transfer ban, a uh, FIFA-imposed transfer ban, and then effectively a self-imposed transfer ban in January, where the, these conflicts over which positions they should recruit in were so great that they decided not to do anything in in that window. So there is um, residual money from uh, those that year that is, they've gone without... Uh, without making new transfers into the club. Um, I think when you look at Chelsea's transfers, you have to remember that ultimately Marina Granovskaya is the most important figure in them. Uh, she is Roman Abramovich's presence in the club. Uh, she has established her work at Chelsea by creating revenue in the transfer market. So the, the policy of buying a lot of young talent from around Europe, stockpiling and loaning them out and selling them for profits um, is something that Kranoskega, um pioneered and, uh, and implemented uh, in a successful fashion. And that was built primarily or certainly in large part about making financial profits. Recruitment moved from being we are signing players who we think will be first team players for Chelsea Um, and that is exclusively what we're focusing on and we know we won't get them all right because nobody gets them all right to being we're signing some players who we think will be first team players for Chelsea and we're signing some other players who we think we can grow in uh, the club and take profits on down the line now that strategy worked Um, so if you've gone through years of having a strategy where you can see you can make money in the transfer market from recruiting in certain ways, then quite possibly that affects your thoughts about recruiting in a COVID market where Chelsea happened to have financial resources from transfer window ban, um, where um, prices have come down because of the obvious and huge economic effects COVID have had around um, European football and global football so if you're looking at it from this profit making perspective then you think well I can buy it at relatively low prices this summer and get players under my control who should be able to contribute to the first team with the players we're talking about here are our serious talents but um, even if They don't end up being absolute successes. We can get our money back or perhaps make a profit. The ones that are successes, we can make big profits on down the line. And I think that is where you see this focus on attacking uh, midfield players and forwards because they generally are the players you make large amount of money on in the transfer market if you succeed. And and Chelsea also have a history of doing this. Remember the period in which um, they overstocked the team with attacking midfielders. Kevin De Bruyne, Oscar, Mata was the, the, the um, player of the season at the club when these players were coming in. Mo Salah, Willian, all signed in a very short period of time or put together in a short period of time. They had too many of them. Um, it caused a problem for the manager and um, Kevin De Bruyne ended up um, moving out of the club because of that. Um, Salah also eventually moved out of the club, but overall it was a success for Chelsea in, in terms of um, transfer market. So I think you can see some of the background to what Granovskaia has done at Chelsea before. And I think some of that's reflected in, in what's going on now. This summer, in the decisions they're making to pursue the players they are pursuing, and the ones they're prioritizing over the defensive recruits that Frank Lampard is saying he needs to have, because that is the obvious weakness the team has had this season, and why their, you know, their Champions League place for next season is still open to question.
1: Very good example. Just in the last ten days, Duncan, uh, the, the club sold Mario Pasilik. Uh, to his loan club, Atalanta. This was a player they bought from Hayek split six years ago. Immediately loaned him out to Elche. Then he spent time at Monaco, Milan, Spartak, Moscow, before going to Atalanta. Now, they bought him for three million million six six years ago, and they sold him for a fee which could reach as much as €20 million euros, um, with uh, around €14 million euros down payment. It's a tiny little profit for a player who never played for the club, but, but spent six years there. And I had his wages paid by his loan clubs as well for all that time as well. So uh, as a model, as a business model, um, Skuya obviously is a valuable um, uh, person who created that particular way of working. And indeed, if you look over the last 10 years, Chelsea's net transfer spend is one of the lowest of all Premier League clubs mainly because they have sold so many players that have never played for the club or played very little for the club. Um, And that's been one of the main features of keeping the expense down. Um, Obviously, having been the big spenders in English football for some years prior to that. From West London to La Liga, where Real Madrid have turned the top of the table round on Barcelona to now lead the race for the championship there. Not renowned, it has to be said, as a selling club, but certainly a club who are known to have made mistakes in the transfer market Um, in the past. uh, Our old friend, Jimmy Rodriguez, still uh, a player without a portfolio, it seems, but now uh, a very expensive and... Very promising signing they made last summer. The striker Luka Jovic has been put up for sale. Uh, He has been marketed to the Premier League. And so far, very intriguingly, Duncan, Leicester City have registered their interest in the 22-year-old. Now, to say his career at Santiago Bernabeu has been uh, somewhat uh, less than bright would be an understatement. Uh, He scored two goals, made very few appearances. During lockdown, he was um, reprimanded for travelling back home to Croatia with his girlfriend. He's broken his toe during that time. We're not even sure if he was playing football at the time doing it. And now, uh, when the club are going for the title, he's self-isolating with symptoms of COVID-19. Seems a slightly strange one, Duncan, given Jovic's footballing style. He's certainly no Jamie Vardy in terms of pace. Um, he does have a lot of talent with regards to uh, he can score goals both feet. He's very he's got a powerful physique as well, score with his head. Uh, do you think Brendan Rogers is looking at him as a plan B here given that he's got two-speed merchants, Nine Nacho and, and in uh, Varde Jovich isn't that, but he could be a different way for Leicester to play next season.
0: Yes, I think uh, as an alternative to to Jamie Vardy, and you you, you know you've seen Leicester's season um, go into reverse um, of late, um, and you know there, there are quite a few arguments that they were overperforming early on in the season, particularly from the uh, the statistical analysts who look at um, things like expected goals. Um, they were they were getting results beyond what those um, analytics would sh- suggest they should be getting. Um, therefore to add another um, high level center forward um, into the mix for next season and uh, and to develop going forward this is not uh, a bad idea um, if you're signed by Real Madrid for substantial money you have to have a reasonable uh, amount about you it has been as you say a disaster for him at Madrid um, 16 appearances but uh, just 12 percent of of the starting 11s, as he featured in in La Liga, 13% of minutes and just 4% goal participation. He has in La Liga, and his Champions League stats are are similar. But he's also just 22. Um, he did very well in Germany, um, which often is a, a reasonable proxy for uh, players um, in terms of what you can expect for Premier League performance. I think if Leicester can get him at substantially less than the 60 million euros that Real Madrid um, paid for him, uh, which I think is is eminently possible given that Madrid don't want him anymore. Um, He clearly, uh, his chances of succeeding at Madrid are limited and they're working in a a transfer market where they they know um, clubs don't have uh, a large amount of money to spend, Um, then I think it's uh, you can see why Rogers is thinking that this is worth uh, trying and uh, banking on his uh, coaching abilities to turn him into uh, a forward who can succeed in British football. Um, he's you know he's done a good job with other uh, foreign players coming into uh, Scottish football and developed them into top European players. So. And, and as we always say on the podcast, um, Brendan Rodgers has no shortage of of uh, faith in his abilities to outperform other managers. So perhaps he feels he can uh, can show Zinedine Zidane um, how to handle someone like Jovic and, <laughs> by bringing him to Leicester. Whether and no, you no can doubt- convince a player to come from Real Madrid to Leicester City is another question here.
1: Indeed, indeed. Um, no doubt if he does manage to make a success of Jovic, should he sign then... He will be making that point to Zizou the next time they're having dinner. Um, I think one thing that's interesting about the potential move, Duncan, is that uh, what Leicester City do have are very good wide players and a very good number 10 in James Madsen. So supply to a player like Jovic would not be a problem. Whereas, of course, at other clubs, he would be a total misfit. Yeah, uh, look... I joke about the attraction
0: of Leicester City to a player coming from Real Madrid. It's not a transfer you see very often from someone who has has come as a high-profile signing to Madrid just a year ago. It's a big step down from a player status point of view. But um, Leicester City have a lot of talent in their squad. Um, And uh, they are still in a reasonable, they're still in position to qualify for the Champions League, um, particularly if Manchester City's European competition ban is upheld. And that's um, something that can be used as as an attraction to a player uh, of Jovic's stature. To say, look, we give you Premier League football, uh, we give you Champions League football, we give you the opportunity to show to people that uh, Zidane got it wrong and, and Madrid were wrong to allow you to leave.
1: It's a very good point, actually. Um, when we talk about Leicester <laughs> City in Champions League football, that's going to make them a very attractive proposition, regardless uh, of them not being Real Madrid. And uh, something which I think will definitely be to their benefit, as well, of course, as the fact they have uh, very... Um, Beneficial owners, as it were, in terms of making sure that um, wages uh, will be uh, very competitive uh, uh, compared to other clubs in the Premier League for a striker like Jovic, uh, never mind certainly being able to afford a fee, which at the moment is being um, set at around 40 million euros, so a loss of 20 for real. Now, of course, it wouldn't be a transfer window podcast at the moment if we didn't talk about Jaden Sancho. Duncan, we need to talk about (laughs) Jaden. He's becoming the problem child of the Transfer Window podcast. Still not moved. People are still talking. Um, But very interesting. Michael Zork, um, the sporting director of his club, Borussia Dortmund, uh, spoke to um, German reporters this week and admitted that they may be preparing for Sancho's departure. What was it Zork said, Duncan. He's quoted as saying, should Jaden
0: leave, we would go into the offensive again. Um, there's certainly one or two players that we have our sights on. So he, he's saying, I, I mean, it's no secret that Dortmund have been ready to sell Sancho if the money is right this summer. But they've always emphasised that the money has to be right. And they've always um, emphasised that it has to be 100 million euros or more. To sell the player Um, we told you in the last podcast that they'd uh, briefed German media that they wanted this done by uh, the 10th of August because they have to sort out their squad for next season and um, they want to have a go at taking again taking the Bundesliga title off Bayern Munich Um, they are also prepared to give Sancho a new contract um, if necessary Uh, and Zork had said that um, it, it, he doesn't see it as a Sancho has to leave this summer um, if, and they're pr- they're prepared to wait and try and get more in the transfer market in the, the following summer. But I think another bit of information that's important here is he Zork appears to have briefed that should they get the substantial fee for Sancho that they want, then the full amount that they receive for Sancho will not be spent on new players. So that's indicating that um, they have a hit from COVID like everyone else to deal with. Um, And they see some of the Sancho money as being put into their bank accounts to cover for the losses that are being incurred by COVID. So I think that that, has to be a positive sign for Manchester United and has to be um, supportive of the strategy that we have detailed that they're taking, which is to try and bring the price down. Um, they've briefed the media that they wouldn't spend over £50 million on um, Sancho, and we said that that was clearly a negotiating tactic. We've, they've also been talking um, in conver- recruitment conversations that they do not want to spend more than £50 million pounds on any player this summer. Um, if at all possible. So again, and, and talking about their own issues with COVID and the cost that it, it's uh, it's inflicted upon them. So they, they, their stance, negotiating stance, their bargaining stance is we don't want to spend big on this, but that is a stance. It's a communication from a club in a, a competitive bidding environment. That's not A guarantee that the price won't go above 50 million. It's not saying that they cannot afford to spend above 50 million. It's saying this is what they want to do. Um, And it does still seem extremely unlikely to me, given Dortmund's position, uh, given the, the value of the player, that they will be able to secure Sancho for that price. As we talked about in the last podcast, you also have the factor here of Manchester United are playing very well. They're scoring a lot of goals. Um, There's a real positivity amongst the support. There's a positivity from Paul Pogba, which they haven't had for a long time, which is important to their thoughts for the transfer window going forward. And they are owned by people who um, try and economise in Uh, the running of the club, they run the club for personal profit, they take dividends out each year. And um, if the Glazers are looking at the situation and thinking, well, we've got a much stronger team now than we expected to have, we have Mason Greenwood um, in incredible form up front and everyone talking about him as being uh, the future of the club and, and people starting to talk about him as being the future of England's attack. Um, do we need to spend so much on that right-wing position that we've prioritised? They also have a manager who asked about this um, this week, um, said and, and emphasised that um, that he was careful with money. He said that the whole world has changed both financially and the perception we've got on value. Every time I put the case in front of Ed, I think it's a sensible one and a realistic one. I've always got the club in the front of my mind. I don't think short term. I always think long term and try to make good deals. I'm always quite careful with money. Now, that has to be um, music to the Glazers ears that they have a manager um, in or Solskjaer who is not pressuring them publicly to further spend um, aggressively on the team and improve. In fact, he's doing the opposite, and and uh, and stating his public position that he's careful with their money. Um, so, as we have said all along, this is a complex deal um, for multiple reasons, um, and there are the, there. Are Multiple outcomes to it, and one of those potential outcomes is Sancho agrees a new contract with Dortmund, uh, perhaps a one-year extension, um, gets a, a significant pay rise from Dortmund, has a release clause for next summer, which is suitable to Dortmund and himself, included in the clause, and, and waits to see which um, which team he will go to. He has agreed in principle personal terms with Manchester United, as you reported last week, Ian. But um, if you're Jaden Sancho, um, is Manchester United your first choice as a club in a, in a normal uh, transfer market where all the top clubs are able to bid for you? Do you go to a team that still hasn't got back into the top four for all the good run they're on? Um, should get Champions League football um, if they continue this form and or Manchester City um, are banned or their ban is upheld in, in the Champions League, but are still substantially behind Liverpool challenging for the title, still substantially behind Manchester City for second place. Um, I think it's being taken for granted that Sancho's first choice is Manchester United, whereas uh, it, it, it may be more a case of Sancho's choice is Manchester United this summer because there isn't another
1: choice for him this summer. Well, you were talking about Solskjaer's comments there, Duncan. I just had this image of uh, marionette strings on his hands with Ed controlling them at the top. <laughs> <laughs> he looks a bit like Pinocchio, actually, the, the puppet who wanted to be a boy. Mm. Anyway, just amusing as we head towards the donkey. Um, thank you for the Jason Sancho update. And now we have a very special donkey because this week, Uh, IFAB uh, stroke all football administrators decided to change the rules of the game once again and that of course uh, involves the use of five substitutes for the whole of next season despite initially telling us it would only be for the uh, completion of the seasons in countries where the league had been suspended due to COVID pandemic. So this week's donkey is going to be sponsored by the International Football Association, Board or IFAB, as you and I know them. And it will be for the worst changes in the rules of football ever made. Let's go open up the envelope here, Duncan. Well, no guesses for the first one. And that will be, of course, the introduction of five substitutions uh, for the whole of next season. Number two. And certainly not uh, in any way below the five subs, especially after Thursday night's Premier League chaos, where the uh, the PGMOL were forced to admit that all three penalties awarded in games were wrong decisions. Who would have thought it? VAR! I say no more. Or Valerie, as we like to call it on the podcast. And the last one, a a favourite of ours, of course, Schrodinger's handball, which was again highlighted and a foul awarded in the lead-up to a goal uh, already this week. when the ball was literally one centimetre from the attacker's arm um, before it was put in the net by a team mate. Duncan, I'm going to leave it to you to, well, just annihilate it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: well, first, these are all recent changes. Um, they're all changes that have come under Gianni Infantino's leadership of FIFA. Um, they're all in contrast to the way football's rules have been handled for decades which was very conservatively try not to change anything radically um, test it first think about the repercussions um, and and try and keep the game as simple as possible um, and that has been a very successful formula for football what we've got is a handball law that almost everyone describes as a joke, almost universally as as being commented upon by um, English uh, football commentators as something that has been to the detriment of the game and needs to go. A rule proposed by English football to solve English football's perceived problems about um, a couple of goals that happened in previous seasons, um, particularly the willy-bolly handball goal for Wolves. When that rule was announced, we did a podcast talking about how uh, it was obviously problematic and was obviously going to cause issues in the coming season. It was a bad decision. It was easy to predict that it was going to be a mess. Same story with VAR. I think it was also very easy to predict that this was going to have radical effects on the way football was played. Some of them have caught us by surprise some of them have not, Um, you're now getting this shift again towards, I think, the majority of commentators saying this is really problematic. We watched last night three um, VAR decisions, which even the Premier League admitted they got wrong, Um, two of them with major ramifications for relegation. Um, The the Aston uh, Villa-Manchester United decision where um, Bruno Fernandes spins in the air, comes down on his opponent's leg um, and gets given a penalty. Premier League admitted that should have been a foul uh, against Bruno Fernandes. Uh, and the Bournemouth-Tottenham decision where Harry Kane is, is fouled in the area by Josh King, again, Premier League make, admits they make a mistake. These have these have implications of hundreds of millions of pounds for the clubs involved that's, that's the difference of staying up in the Premier League or not. And VAR um, is supposed to correct obvious errors. It cannot even correct obvious errors. We've talked many times this podcast about all the other implications it has for the game, the changes it makes. Um, it is bad news. The five-substitution one, I think there there is a, was an acceptance that it made a certain amount of sense in the restart Uh, conditions where we were very concerned about player fitness uh, after such a long break and with an abbreviated pre-season. We have seen that the players aren't as fit as they normally are. We've seen a lot of muscular injuries. So there was a a, a rationale to having five substitutes in these artificial circumstances. But we've also seen the problems with bringing five substitutes in. It, It extends the length of the game. I don't think from a spectator point of view, it's good. You don't want um, these constant changes and additional changes of of, uh, of players in a match. It it seems to break up the the flow of the game, the continuity of the game. Um, What I'm hearing is that players aren't particularly impressed with uh, the degree of of substitution in games. And then it has these very important ramifications, which I'm sure IFAB have not thought about, um, because this seems to be their way. They don't think about the long-term ramifications and the the potential damage these um, decisions make. If they have thought about them, then it makes the decision to implement it even worse. That is, you you aid clubs with bigger budgets. The the larger clubs have more expensive players, more players on, on their squad, mainly because they have to deal with Champions League competition, more European competition, they're playing twice a week, Um, that if you allow them to have five top players coming off the bench against teams with lower budgets, lower budget teams are at a significant disadvantage. It therefore increases the costs for everyone um, who are lower down the league for recruitment because they're now seeing that they're at a competitive disadvantage in having um, benches that are not properly uh, stocked as their opponents are, and are now thinking about their summer recruitment, if they can afford to do it, to add in more players so they have the chance to compete with the the bench changes that um, stronger clubs are able to implement in games. Um, So this rule that's being brought in um, supposedly to help players' safety on the pitch, it's actually going to cost clubs a lot of money and further um, increase the competitive advantage that um, larger, better funded clubs have in in European football, which is a problem that that European football's had to deal with for for over a decade now and one that we need to be reversing rather than adding to. Um, Which is the worst of them? Who gets the donkey? I think IFAB just gets the donkey for for um, this continual um, attempt um, to damage the game with real changes that are supposed to improve the game for the spectators and for the people involved in it.
1: I think that's the right decision. I think IFAB should definitely get the golden Duncan this week. Um Just a little aside, Duncan, I think there may be an element of self-interest in this in terms of, well, what a surprise. We've got a European Championships coming up next summer and then a World Cup in Qatar uh, a a year um, later. In Well, not even a year later, it was in the winter of 2022. Um, And of course, if the big clubs have five substitutes to choose from, there would be no reason to risk your superstar players if they had a little tightness in their hamstring or maybe a uh, dead leg or something. You can just bring on someone else. Um, and of course, those players would then be available to play in the big tournaments, which of course is where FIFA and UEFA get their money from. Mm. Just something to think about between now and next week's podcast. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed today's. Uh, please continue the debate with us on our, our social media channels. They are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, on uh facebook and on instagram also a lot of you've been tuning into our youtube channel to uh, get your fill of the transfer window keep please uh, use that facility if that's the easiest and best way for you to uh, tune in and uh, and listen and then of course uh, join the debate with us duncan and i personally are on twitter it's at duncan castles and at garbo sj That's all for this week. We hope you enjoyed the programme. We will be back next week, of course. Until then, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.